You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. The French Revolution set Europe ablaze. It was an age of enlightenment and progress, but also of tyranny and oppression. It was an age of glory and an age of tragedy. One man stood above it all. This was the Age of Napoleon. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Join me as I examine the life and times of one of the most fascinating and enigmatic characters in modern history. Look for the Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including our Commodore class. That's Commodore's Obvious, Blood Groove, Torso and Pinches, Ironside, M.D., Scuttlebutt, Hartman, Leslie the Spice Chonger, Gingrich, Clan Roland, Big Beard, Matt, Willie P., Thomas, Schmarls, Buggy the Clown, Scarlet Dawn, The Admiral Benbow, Lisa, Chairboat, Cannon Monkey, Jacob, Axios, Pitlock, The Sextant, Jack of the South Seas, Lost Again, The Navigator, Gangsway Sally, Governor Roop, Gin Soaked Jim, Workman, Rum Runner, Skipper, Sawbones, Hefe, Bull, Vertigon, Rumgut, and Bootstraps Bailey. Hello. Welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. For the past couple of weeks, we've been away from Captain William Kidd and the Adventure Galley. We took a short detour into the events of 1696, but those two weeks are just about the same amount of time that the crew of the Adventure Galley waited at Bab al-Mandeb. There's... Always work to do on a ship, but less when you're not moving. Mostly the men were lounging and sleeping, they ate their meals, but more than anything, they drank up their water. A ship carried literally tons of water on board, but sailors used about a gallon a day. One hundred and fifty men, as there were on board Adventure Galley, could drink up a lot of water very quickly, especially when they're not used to the Arabian heat. Before long, though, the men were on half rations, so a half gallon. Not too bad, really. They still had water to drink, but not to wash themselves. And they would still be, you know, a bit thirsty. If this kept up, though, they were going to have to go collect water, but that would take them away from Bab el-Mendeb. They might miss whatever it was they were there looking for. And for us, everybody who wasn't on board that ship, well, we really still don't know what it was they were looking for. Was William Kidd there to hunt pirates, or to hunt Mughal shipping? And I suppose the only way to find out is to see what happens next. This is episode 251, A Parcel of Rogues. 
When we last left Captain Edward Barlow, the captain of the Scepter, he was still in Mocha, on the coast of the Red Sea. The Scepter, as you'll remember, was not an East India Company ship. She was a pirate hunter that had been commissioned by the East India Company, therefore a direct rival of Captain Kidd, although neither ship knew it at the time. Captain Barlow, though, was well aware that there was a ship of European design waiting at the Babs, and he believed it to be a pirate. Well, I suppose he only knew that there was at least one ship out there. If Henry Every was any kind of blueprint, there could very well be more than one ship these pirates liked to hunt in packs. So Captain Barlow decided, wisely, not to sail out and engage this pirate. Instead, the Mocha fleet, the Mughal Pilgrim fleet, prepared to set sail in strength. They were all armed, and they had three European men-of-war with them, serving as their guards. Still, though, pirates were fearsome. They were clever. They were not to be underestimated. So the Mocha fleet was wary as it departed. One of those Dutch ships that had agreed to sail with the fleet sailed up in front with the scepter, and the other of the Dutch ships brought up the rear. As the fleet began to pass through the Strait of Bab el-Mendeb, they had their guns primed, and they kept a close and wary eye out. But Adventure Galley was well hidden. The lookouts on board Captain Kidd's ships up in the rigging were able to see the movements of the fleet, but not the other way round. Unfortunately, as the fleet was passing through the strait, night fell. The ships that were not yet through the strait were in a much greater danger of running aground, or running into a rock, or running into another ship. Naturally, to avoid these dangers, they slowed down. This next bit, though, I love this next bit. A gap was opening up in the fleet, between the first half and the second, and that was the opening that Captain Kidd needed. He set sail, he slipped into that gap to catch up to that first half of the fleet, and then he tried to just kind of blend in. Now I have no idea what Captain Kidd was trying to achieve here. He didn't attack, that doesn't seem to have been his motive. He didn't try to capture any stragglers or anything like that, he just joined the fleet, sailed alongside with them. I think it was just Captain Kidd's ego here. I really think that he believed that joining the fleet was the right thing to do and they would just accept him. Or, I should say not join the fleet, but he believed he was meant to lead the fleet because this is, after all, Captain William Kidd. Captain Barlow, though, at the head of the fleet, was not having it. His lookout spotted this interloper almost immediately. Barlow himself rushed to the rail of the scepter and raised his glass. He noted what he saw in his diary that evening. He wrote, quote, He showed no colors, but came jogging on with his courses hauled up, under two topsails, having more sails furled than usually ships carry, namely a mizzen topgallant sail and a spritsail topgallant sail. End quote. What the captain is noting there is that this ship had so much sail available 
that she had more furled up than most other ships had in total. She would be, if she chose to be, a fast vessel indeed. But Captain Barlow goes on to say, quote, She showed no colors, but had only a broad red pendant out, without an cross. End quote. That flag signaled a message, like any naval flag does. This pennant claimed dominance in a fleet. It said to everyone who could see it, I am in charge here, so you must show deference to me. And Captain Kidd was flying that broad red pennant. He sailed into this fleet, unknown, unannounced, and he expected everyone to just acknowledge his command. I mean, he's announcing it, and he believed it to be true, so they should just fall in line, right? What an absolute ass. But, oh, I love this guy. I mean, who does that? It's incredibly stupid, of course, mind-bogglingly stupid, but you have to admire the cheek of it all. And, you know, you have to wonder how someone like Captain Barlow really felt about it. What kind of idiot would do this? But Captain Barlow was clever. He kept his distance from the adventure galley. He pulled away from the fleet, over to one side, and he furled much of his sail. Little by little, he didn't want to draw attention, he didn't want to look like he was stopping. No, instead he ordered his men to continue on with their duties, like it was just any normal day at sea without some madman joining the fleet. Nothing out of the ordinary here. They worked the rigging, they swabbed the deck, they did whatever needed doing but the men below decks were priming their guns for a firefight. Little by little, the pilgrim fleet pulled past the scepter, who was going just a bit slower than everyone else. After a few hours of this, though, Captain Barlow was right alongside the adventure galley. He wrote, quote, Seeing the pirate as near as he intended to come, being almost abreast of us, we presently hoisted our colors and let fly two or three guns at him, well shotted, and presently got both our boats ahead, having little wind, towing towards him. End quote. So he raised his colors and fired on adventure galley. What he's saying in that last bit about the two boats, he had two of the long boats that belonged to the scepter towing him closer to Captain Kidd. And Captain Kidd seems to have been genuinely shocked by this. An Englishman showing his colors and then attacking him. He said on board, quote, An Englishman of war, convoy to the fleet. There is no good to be done. End quote. I think what he means by that is that, well, there's no pirates here. To his credit, though, William Kidd did not fire back on the scepter, he wasn't here to fight with Englishmen. In a very real sense, if Captain Kidd was a pirate, he was the polar opposite of those men we met last time, men who had abandoned their nation. I think that William Kidd really did think it was his duty to join up with this fleet, to protect them, and to lead them. And, if nothing else, it was his best chance at catching a pirate. But everyone here believed him to be a pirate. You know, Barlow didn't know who this was. He didn't know it was Captain Kidd. He just calls him the pirate over and over again in his journal. But as they sailed along, 
Those boats were towing the scepter closer and closer, clearly preparing to board the adventure galley. Kid found himself in the middle of a fleet that had just turned hostile. So he fell back. The wind died down, so everyone kind of fell back, but Kid especially slowed down. He could have rushed on, he did have the oars to do so, but that doesn't appear to have been his goal. What it looks like he's trying to say here is, Hey, everybody, I'm not a threat. I'm not here to attack you. I'm not moving in any kind of aggressive posture. But then Captain Kidd found himself alongside one of the Mughal ships. It was a particularly rich Mughal ship, maybe the richest in the fleet, filled with women and children and all of the treasures that this fleet had to offer. But the Mughals had learned their lesson in 1695. That ship carried treasure and women and children, but also a lot of guns. Those guns took aim and fired on the adventure galley, and this time they scored a few hits against Captain Kidd, mostly in the rigging. The other nearby Mughal ships joined in the volley, but they didn't have a decent line of sight. They all missed, just firing into the ocean. Nonetheless, though, that proved their intent. These ships all intended to fire on what they assumed to be a pirate. And again, you have to wonder what they were thinking. You know, what kind of idiot is this guy? What sort of pirate would just sail into the middle of a well-armed fleet that outgunned him a hundred to one easy? This time, though, Captain Kidd fired back. He scored five hits on this Mughal ship, tearing through her sails, and one direct hit on the hull, a dangerous hit. Had it been a one-to-one fight, Kidd probably could have won here, but those other Mughal ships were all changing their heading, and the scepter was being towed ever closer to range. Now, This fight was taking a very long time. Hours. Here, nobody had a decent wind. Nobody could get a a good shot off. They were all struggling to find purchase in the wind. But Kid realized that he was soon going to be surrounded and left pretty helpless here. So he ordered his men to the oars. Soon enough, the oars were in the water, propelling the adventure galley forward. They were moving as quickly as they could, but then the wind picked up. The adventure galley was already moving fast, but when she opened up her sails, they caught the wind and the ship really rushed ahead of the entire fleet. Every time that adventure galley passed by one of the ships in the fleet, they took a shot. Barlow says, quote, We fired at him as long as he was anything near, and judged did hit him with some of our shot. End quote, but not enough to stop the adventure galley. So, Captain Kidd escaped, right? Well, yeah, he did, but then, once he was out ahead of the fleet, he stopped. If he was a pirate, he was home free, but he stopped. Captain Kidd pulled up short and waited for the fleet. Captain Barlow opened up full sail and moved out to meet him. Now, It's hard to suss out the actions of either of the ships here. I mean, their actual movements, how they were positioned toward each other. They're important, though, if we wanted to figure out what was really going on, what Kidd's intentions were. Captain Kidd was standing in the road, as they say, well ahead of the fleet, but in sight. 
Captain Barlow, though, came in close, and Adventure Galley set sail again, kept on moving and put even more distance between themselves and the scepter. And then they stopped again. The two ships continued this weird, slow-speed, herky-jerky chase, and the distance between the scepter and the adventure galley and the rest of the fleet continued to grow. They did it two or three more times, stopping, chasing, starting, stopping, chasing again. And I... I wonder what William Kidd was doing. It would be easier if we knew how William Kidd was positioned. I'm betting that they were both trying to position themselves at a superior angle, just in case they had to fire upon each other. But Barlow, being the last to move in, was always able to put himself in a better spot. And I feel like Kidd was trying to say, Hey, I'm not a threat. I just want to talk. We're far away from the fleet. There's no one out here I can threaten. But every time, Barlow came in aggressively, so Kidd had to move on. In the end, the adventure galley just left. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. When the Adventure Galley abandoned whatever their designs had been with the treasure fleet, they did so because the crew voted to do so. It was not Captain Kidd's decision alone. That's not how his ship worked. So the men, they weren't upset with Captain Kidd, but they were upset. They'd been at sea for a year. They'd gone without water and comfort for far too long to have literally nothing to show for it here. Well, they had a trip down into the freezing cold of the Antarctic and, of course, the outbreak of scurvy that left them scarred and missing teeth. Oh, and then there were the fifty or so men who died from some disease in the Comoros. It had not been an easy voyage. Ask yourself, are you better off than you were a year ago? Most of the men would have answered no. But they chose to sail east, flying on the monsoon winds to the Cape of St. John. That's well to the east, over by India. Now you may remember the Cape of St. John. That's the spot at which the Fancy and the Portsmouth Adventure engaged and captured the Ganji Sawai. It's very likely that the men on board the Adventure Galley knew this and maybe thought it a bit of good luck. Adventure Galley set off immediately, like, really, 
immediately. They didn't even stop to get water before they left. Remember, they had been on half rations, but as they were crossing the Indian Ocean, they had to take it down to a quart of water a day. For our metric system friends out there, that's just about a liter, a little bit less. And if you're thinking, you know, that's no big deal, it might not be super pleasant, but I could do that, well, let me put a challenge to you. Why don't you take a roofing job in August, in Texas, and you get nothing to eat except for beef jerky and dehydrated bacon and really, really stale crackers for weeks. It's, you know, technically possible you'd survive for a while at least, but it's not going to be fun. Five days into their ten-day voyage, the crew was in an uproar. About half of them wanted to stop and gather water on the coast to the north. The other half did not want to stop. They wanted to continue on to capture a fat, rich Mughal ship. And that was their open desire by this point. They weren't hiding it from the captain. They had told him they'd better go capture something, and that was their best bet. Captain Kidd knew all about it, but he was powerless to change their minds. But with all of this turmoil on board, the quartermaster called a parley. The crew was at odds, and they were close to open fighting, so they called the decision to a vote. Should we stop for water, or should we continue on? The debate was contentious, what we know of it. There were hard words shared, and the vote, it was close. But in the end, with a very slim majority, maybe as small as a couple of people, the crew decided not to stop for water and to continue sailing east. And that's another problem, a problem that's not going to fix itself, and it wasn't the captain's fault. Captain Kidd had nothing to do with that decision. But the crew was growing more and more dissatisfied by the day. Five more days passed, and finally, the coast of India was in view. They actually shot well to the south of St. John, but they found India. What's more, more importantly, they spotted a ship. A lone ship, not too big, not many guns on board, just a small, two-masted vessel, about a hundred tons, just the kind of prey they were looking for. So Adventure Galley opened up full sail and set a heading to intercept. Now this small ship did try to slip away, but it was hopeless, really. Kid fired a shot across the bow, an order to stop. And this little vessel did as ordered. She furled her sails and slowed to a stop and raised the flag. And the flag she raised was the King's Jack. It was an English ship, the one kind of ship that Captain Kidd absolutely could not attack. Indian, Arabian, French, absolutely. He'd probably even take a Dutch ship at this point, but if he attacked an English vessel, his commission would be invalidated. He would be a pirate in truth, an outlaw, and bound for death. Captain Kidd told the men as much. He said that they could not take anything from this vessel and ordered them to stand down. Captain Kidd raised his spyglass to take a look at the ship across the water. He saw a few white men on board, but mostly it was a crew of Indians, although there weren't more than about 20 men in total. So Kidd raised his bullhorn. When I picture these, I think about old-timey cheerleaders from the 1920s. 
but he hailed the other ship and invited the captain, a man named Thomas Parker, over to the adventure galley. Parker obliged. He rowed a boat over. Once he was aboard, Kid was all smiles, and, you know, I think they were genuine smiles. He explained to Captain Parker that he was a pirate hunter, and he had a letter from the king and everything, see? Captain Parker was impressed, and he was happy to give permission for a few men from the adventure galley to go over and poke around on his ship, just to ensure that they weren't pirates. Take a look in the holds, check the ship's log, make sure that everything was on the up and up, that kind of thing. And, you know, not to worry here, a little bit of padding was nothing that Kid cared about, just not holds full of stolen cargo, which Kid would naturally want to take for his own. So Captain Kid did so. He sent a few of his trusted men over to do just what he said he was going to do. The ship was named the Mary. And when the men from the adventure galley showed up, they were introduced to a Dutchman and four Portuguese sailors. Three of them were clerics, monks, or priests, and one was a translator. This, well, there was this tactic you see sometimes, occasionally used by private merchants, mostly in the East Indies. Legally speaking, it was really a smuggling tactic, but no one much cared about it. You see, you would organize a voyage with three or four equal partners, all of them from different nationalities. And it could be basically anybody but the French. English, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, what have you. And they would have flags from each of their respective nations, as well as registration from each of their nations. One of these pieces of registration was usually legal, while the others were falsified, but again, no one was looking too closely. The purpose here was to avoid tariffs in whatever port city they might arrive in. Arrive in Dutch South Africa? Fly the Dutch flag. Arrive in Bombay? Fly the English or Portuguese flag, depending on when you're there. The point is you get to buy relatively cheap goods everywhere in the East Indies. When the men look over and see that the ship appears to be English, well, Mr. Parker is the captain today. I don't know that that's what was happening here, but it is a suspicious combination of men on board. Those men from the adventure galley found coffee and spices, a little bit of calico, nothing out of the ordinary, and all of it was accounted for. But then they came across the food and water, all of it fresh out of Bombay, and they were less polite about that. These men drank their fill and ripped open casks of fresh fruit and just really went to town. It was rude, but not criminal, really. In the meantime, though, Captain Kidd took Captain Parker into his cabin. They shared news, which was always a hot commodity at sea, and they shared stories and they shared drinks. Lots of drinks. But this was an important meeting for Captain Kidd. He had not had word from the outside since Madeira, maybe St. Helena. It had been months at the very least. He couldn't stop at the Cape, he couldn't stop and talk to any of the ships that he had met because they all believed him to be a pirate. Above decks, though, the men were getting restless. I mean, there was a ship. They'd stopped her. Why didn't they just go and claim what was theirs? Remember, there was a certain element among the crew that were unrepentant pirates. 
Captain Kidd knew all about it, and he thought he had them fully in line, but turns out he didn't. You may remember the gunner, named William Moore, as one of the more notorious pirates aboard. Well, he and the quartermaster at this time, a man named John Walker, led a group of like-minded men over to the Mary. Which, if the quartermaster was willing to go do what he's about to do, then it really tells you something about the temperament of the crew that they elected him. This small cadre of men climbed aboard the Mary and were significantly less polite than their predecessors had been. They were here to plunder, and that's what they did. They tied up the crew, including those Portuguese monks and the translator, and then they ransacked the ship. They didn't load up all the cargo, they only had a rowboat, but they took some. Notably, it was all the most valuable spices they had on board. These men knew what they were after. Of course, they would have preferred silver and gold, real treasure, but they didn't find any. So they decided to torture some of the Indian crewmen. They bound their hands together and then attached those bonds to a pulley and lifted them up. Not way up into the air, just high enough that their toes really weren't quite able to gain traction. Then, and none of these men were wearing shirts... The pirates, and these were pirates, they drew their blades and began to hit the men with the flat of the blade. It wasn't a pummeling, it was slow. You know, fwap! Where's the treasure? If they don't get an answer, fwap! Again! Where's the treasure? And on, and on, and on. Now, that's not bamboo under the fingernails or keel-hauling somebody, but if the men flinched when that sword was coming for them, they were very, very likely to get cut. Not a terrible cut, not a wound that was likely to kill them, but enough to make them bleed. And before long, all the men were bleeding. But they didn't have any treasure to give up. They'd spent it all on the cargo. So the pirates gave up their game. Besides, they appear to have been much more interested in the weapons. See, on nearly any ship sailing, in the Age of Sail, the weapons were all locked up in the armory. Even pirate ships, this was just how things were done. It was safer that way. If a couple of your crewmen get drunk and boastful, they can't go grab muskets and shoot each other. But these pirates did grab muskets and pistols and a blunderbuss and a bunch of swords, far more firearms and blades than those pirates could hope to wield on their own. Enough that, I don't know, about half the crew would be armed. Were they planning a mutiny here? Were they intending, right now, today, to go back to the adventure galley and take the ship from Captain Kidd? The writers that I've read all seem to agree that that was probably their intention. But when they returned to the adventure galley, the rest of the crew doesn't seem to have been quite ready to take that step. Earlier, when they had been beating those men with their blades, people on board the adventure galley heard the screams from across the water. Benjamin Franks was sick and in and out of consciousness and in a kind of a fugue state, but even he made mention of hearing the horrific screams. However, for one reason or another, Captain Kidd did not. 
but he did hear the ruckus that was raised on deck when these pirates came back armed to the teeth. He and Captain Parker went up to see what was going on, and there they were, a few heavily armed pirates hauling sacks of spices on board and arguing heatedly with the rest of the crew. It was immediately clear what had happened, and Kid... He admonished his men. He tore into them, really up and down, dragging them across the coals, which is pretty brave considering they were carrying a bunch of guns. But he shamed them. He called them a parcel of rogues. And then he told them basically to go to their room, and he had other men, including the surgeon, go back. They took all of the treasure that had just been plundered back to the Mary, and the surgeon on board was going to tend to all of the wounds that these pirates had caused. Captain Kidd is going to be at sea for some time longer, and things are going to get a lot more complicated, but if you're wondering if Captain Kidd had decided to be a pirate by this point in the voyage, well, I'd ask you, is that what a pirate would do? Next time, things are going to get more complicated. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank everybody who has helped to support the show, all of our patrons on Patreon, everybody who has left us ratings and reviews, and everybody who has recommended this show. You all make it possible. Thank you. The Pirate History Podcast is a member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out some of their other fine shows, like The Sit-Down, a mafia history podcast, you can do so at airwavemedia.com. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brillig. If you haven't checked them out yet, you absolutely should do so. You can find them at brillig.com.au. That's B-R-I-L-L-I-G.com.au. After you're done over there, why not check out our website at piratehistorypodcast.com. As always, and most importantly, thank you for listening.